Welcome back to Highly Meditated. Today's episode is an episode with a professional astrologer, Linda Zlotnick. And I think you guys are really going to like this one. She offers so much information for the listener base and millennials in general, I think. And she's been practicing for 40 years. So as you will see, she is a complete wealth of knowledge. I actually had her read my natal chart before she came on the podcast and it offered me a lot of insight into like the cycles of my career and my life and you know kind of like why I am the way I am and it was also really interesting because I feel like I've done a lot of self-work and it's taken me a long time to discover my purpose or what I think I would be happiest doing in this life and like really what I wanted to do when I chose to be born and it was funny because I was you know I thought I had like been doing all of this work and seeking these answers and finding them and then it I had my natal chart read in it it was like my chart suggested all of the same things that I had discovered on my own and it was it was just a really cool experience to sort of like get that validation I don't know it's like you know we spend so much time thinking about stuff like this or at least I do and it's just astrology is just a really cool tool to use to learn more about yourself and the world around you. So without further ado, here is Astrology for Millennials with Linda Zlotnick. Hi, Linda. Welcome to Highly Meditated. Hello. Yes, I'm glad to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Good. I've been very excited about this podcast since you read my chart. Well, I'm delighted. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons I was so eager to find an astrologer to come on the show is because it helps find your purpose. And that's what my listener base is looking for. And I think millennials in general are just sort of seekers. And I've found my purpose through ways of like meditating and kind of like found them in the hard way is like is how I like to say it um and then when I had my chart reading with you you told me a lot of things about myself that I had I knew but I I it took me a long time to figure them out then I didn't realize that I could just look at my natal chart and find the same sort of answers in life um so I thought that was a really cool experience and at the same time it was like things that I knew about myself in my gut and it just gave me so much validation so I I think in real life, figuring things out yourself is really, really good. But seeing an astrologer and sometimes just having somebody say the words, you know, or frame it in a certain way for you can really help you integrate something that you know, but maybe you can't quite articulate. So uh, many, many people who come to see me will have that same experience that you're telling me right now. Even when we're talking about what's coming up in their life, they'll have a sense or a feeling of it. But one of the things that working with these wonderful symbols astrology uses is that we have this whole language that we can use to give people a different perspective or, you know, to give a kind, bring a kind of understanding. Yeah, that's a good way to put it because it is a different language somewhat. But like for me, I mean, the answers that I got in my chart were just so good to know. Like, for example, like my chart literally says that I have intuitive abilities. It says that I am meant to have childhood trauma. It says that I can take the path of a wounded healer. It says 
even though, you know, like a lot of my planets were in earth signs and none of them were in fire, I was born at sunrise. And so I still am kind of a fiery person. It was, it was really great. But, uh, yeah, I had no idea that your, your natal chart could point you to those things. So it was cool, but I want to talk about you a little bit too. So can you tell us what drew you to astrology to begin with? Well, I, I was in college and I was looking to make sense of things because I was not able to make sense of things very well. And I was really, really fortunate my second year of college. Another college student who was a friend of a friend of a friend was studying astrology and her aunt was a pretty well-known psychic in the Twin Cities. So she had a little credibility, you know, because everybody knew her aunt. And she was looking for people to practice on, and I just, you know, volunteered myself. And it's she didn't do a whole chart. She just used my birthday. But she was so accurate just from using my date of birth that it really got me thinking there has to be, you know, finally I found something that makes sense, and there has to be a way to get even more answers if I study this. So... I like to tell the story because it's kind of sad. I think the year was 1973 or 74, and I went to the Minneapolis Public Library because there was no internet. You know, there, there, there was nothing. And there was one astrology book in the public library. So uh, that was very, very discouraging. But <laughs> sometime later, I did find a bookstore, a, a kind of new age bookstore, and they had a lot of books. But now you can go into any bookstore and they'll have a big astrology section. And I mean, not many, there's so many books that have been written too. So anyway, so I got started, I think, very much like many of my colleagues who have been practicing for a long time, is that you get a reading and something inside of you goes, you know, like, this is really something I've got to study it. Mm-hmm. I like that you brought up that story with the book, too, because it sort of leads to my next question, which is wondering how the profession has evolved for you, because you've seen, I mean, you've been practicing for 40 years now, so you've you've seen it, and it's, I feel like it's blowing up now a little bit, maybe because of millennials, I'm not really sure why, but it seems to have a, a bigger and more, um, I don't know, it resonates with people more now than it did when I was younger. I know that for sure. So what else have you and seen in terms of popularity? You're very, very right about that. So uh, I, I want to answer this in two parts because it, it's changed dramatically over the years. And there were a couple of planetary events that happened when millennials were being born that actually, to me, speak to this, not just interest in astrology, but um, kind of trying to integrate the left and the right sides of the brain. But first, let me answer that first question about what's happened over the last 40 years. You know, in the beginning, if people wanted to share what they knew about astrology, you would find people in your hometown, you know, and maybe there would just be a few, or maybe you could go to a national conference, you know. But over the years, I, you know, now... There's uh, every three years, there's a big astrological conference where three or four of the major organizations come together. And, you know, 2,000 people can come. Mm -hmm. Maybe more people can come. And so 
I remember the first conference I went to, there were like 40 people. <laughs> I went to California to go and there were like 40 or 45 people there. So, you know, so astrology has definitely, definitely been growing and the internet has really changed everything. And, and so, uh, you know, there are so many really great sources now where you can go and you can take either online classes or you can read people's blogs or you can just check in and you don't even need to have software. You know, so many, many years ago, I did all my charts by hand and every chart, you know, it was an hour, hour, 20 minutes of math. And so a lot of people didn't want to do astrology because that was really a hassle. And if you, you know, if you started with, if you made a mistake, like you had the birth time written down wrong, then you'd have to start over, you know. But now, boom, you know, I have an app on my phone so I can calculate charts. Or there are uh, Astro Deanst, uh, there's, I think, Astrology Cafe. They all have places where you can just plug in your date, place, and time, and you can get your whole horoscope. And then you could search around and get interpretations for different parts of your chart. And so it's not the same as going to a real astrologer, but there's so much access to so much information now. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to go off on one other little tangent before I talk about the millennials. Uh, I would say maybe even in just the last year, a, a lot of people have started on the web calling themselves astrologers when they really haven't studied astrology. They've found ways to, I just got on Instagram not very long ago, and there's this not, not all Geminis or not only Geminis. And there are 100,000 people following this person who just posts funny memes. Mm-hmm. And they're funny, you know, and they're entertaining, but this isn't astrology. And right. so... Uh, I guess some of the old timers were a little were a little worried, you know. Is astrology going to turn into this kind of? It's always been seen as entertainment, which is a deficit to people who have practices. Mm-hmm. But you, you can see where I would be worried about that, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like this is your life's work, and yeah. it's almost like people are just they go out and they learn a little bit about it, and then they market themselves to get followers. Yeah without having the actual background. And I even know that from like, like, like you mentioned, you can look up your chart online for free anywhere. And so I did that with my chart and I got all my planets and it matches the one that I got from you, but I couldn't get any of the information that you gave me from looking online. You'll, you'll be able to find the basic stuff, like typical tendencies of a Virgo or the difference between your sun, your moon and your rising signs and sort of basic information like that. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's really, you have to be careful online because you're not going to get the same information that you would get from a true astrologer. So for a period of time, uh, people were doing computer generated horoscopes, natal charts. Uh, but the thing that computers can't do is integrate. So when an astrologer looks at a horoscope, uh, I say that there's a, approximately 144,000 pieces of information there. And so you know, to integrate all that and understand what's more important and, you know, what comes first and how do you kind of integrate it, uh, it, it takes a lot of studying, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. So 
let me go back to this very interesting thing about the group of people. There are two, there are two different planetary kind of combinations that I want to talk about. And I'm going to use the names of the planets. I'm not going to get real technical, but if people want to look this up, you know, I think that is really, really interesting. Okay. So in uh, 1988 through 1990, there were three planets traveling together, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune, all in the sign of Capricorn. And this is really, really that very, very early beginning of the millennials. Isn't it? I think it is. Um, I think millennials start in 85. Oh, okay. So then we're kind of in, into the, the first part of the millennials. But the first planet, Saturn, has to do with convention, and it has to do with authority, and it has to do with rules, and it has to do with kind of the establishment. The next planet, Uranus, has to do with revolution, and it has to do with smashing authority, and it has to do with overturn of the existing order. And then the third planet, Neptune, has to do with our longing for the mystical interconnectedness of all living things. Mm. And when, when I, so I saw this coming, of course, you know, back before it happened. And the first way that I understood it is that a group of people were going to be born. And um, so this changed slightly. In uh, 1991, Saturn left the pattern. And then Uranus and Neptune travel together through the end of 1995. And Uranus, we associate in astrology with kind of, besides its revolutionary tendencies, it's very, very much associated with technology and computers and a, a kind of linear understanding. While Neptune is just the opposite. And Neptune has to do with this very kind of deep, intuitive, kind of psychic wellspring of understanding. And so I was thinking about how there would, there would come a whole group of people, a, a whole kind of half a generation of people who would have this really, really unique gift. I should have looked up the last time that they traveled together. I think, I think it was, it's been a long time since Uranus, Uranus and Neptune traveled together because they're both really, really slow. So anyway, so this, there's this integration in the millennial age group of uh, this duality, you know, and some people can experience it as mm, sometimes I'm like this and sometimes I'm like that. But other people are, I think, more drawn to, you know, search for meaning, which is Neptune, but then do it in these really, really original kind of out of the box ways, which is Uranus. Yes, I, th- I think it's a, a very, very unique group of people. And personally, I just can't wait till, like, you all are the ones in charge. <laughs> Let's get all those old guys out <clears throat> of running everything and get the millennials in. And I think the world's going to be a lot better place. We can't wait either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's true. <laughs> it's so funny because we're so so involved with like finding this sense of purpose and it's something that I think is often frowned upon by baby boomers because they don't have the drive to do that themselves or they never had the opportunity to think about that but yeah we're just all about like self-actualization and it's 
I don't know, it's really inspiring. And I think it, it goes by generation that the preceding generation, you know, always criticizes the next generation for being lazy or, or for like not setting their priorities straight. But I think it, I mean, this just goes to say it's literally just part of our makeup. Yes. Yes, it is. Amazing. Thank you for that explanation. That was great. Oh, you're very welcome. In addition to that, I was hoping you could tell us about the natal chart and like the main focus points of it. So there are kind of three things that uh, I think of as the cornerstones or the anchors. And it's familiar to people who are interested in astrology, the sun, the moon, and the rising sign. And the sun is uh, the birthday, basically. So it's determined by the month that you're born in. But the astrological signs are usually like the last week of one month and the first three weeks of the next month. So they aren't aligned with the calendar. But your sun sign is determined by the time of year that you were born. Your moon sign, the moon changes signs every two and a half days. And we have 13 lunar months every year. Okay, so the moon is changing very, very quickly. And you're, so your moon sign is determined by the day that you were born or the two and a half day period in which you were born. The sun is the symbol for your kind of outer identity, your purpose. It's all aligned with your personality characteristics, while the moon is the symbol for your inner identity. And I always like to talk about them in terms of your daytime self and nighttime self. So the moon has more to do with your private life and your inner life, where the sun is more kind of your public life. And then the ascendant, which is based on your exact time of birth. So practicing astrologers really like it when people have a birth certificate, you know, and use that time of birth because it's important. And that's symbolized with that first breath, you know, and that's the beginning of setting everything in your life in motion. And it's the way that you interface with your world. So we used to use this word persona uh, to describe the rising sign because your persona isn't necessarily who you are, but it's kind of like, you know, the outfit you put on and the kind of look that you use to interface with the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So then if I can keep going, mm-hmm. <laughs> there are 10 planets all together. There are 12 zodiac signs, and then there are 12 things called houses, which are the only thing that aren't really up in the sky. So all the planets are in the sky. The signs of the zodiac are all up in the heavens. But originally astronomers and astrologers were the same, and they decided that astrology would work better if it was divided into these 12 different sections that are called houses. But houses and signs are different, and they don't align or, yeah, it's pretty complicated because uh, the way that the houses are determined are all these different mathematical formulas. They have to do with how the sky looks as you move north and south of the equator. So there's a little bit of a basis in reality. I mean, there's some real math at work in there. But they're two separate, I think of them as two separate concentric wheels, the zodiac and then the houses. And then the planets are located 
in the signs of the zodiac. Okay. And so this is all based on how the sky would look if you stepped outside of the hospital on your birthday. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Fascinating. Can you maybe point to some of the things that you just described that would be able to suggest what your purpose might be or your life path might look like? Well, okay, so there's a few ways to interpret uh, what that is. And in every sun sign, so this is the most available kind of place where people can start looking. So the sun sign, every sun sign has, you know, I think of it as strengths, but they, oh, for every single sun sign, there is some really major obstacle or some kind of learning path to go through, okay? So, you know, speaking from one Virgo to another, you you know, not being overly perfectionistic and overly self-critical and, you know, learning to be kind of more fluid, that's part of our life purpose in a way, but that isn't the deepest level, okay? Mm-hmm. So astrologers look at the nodes of the moon, which is this whole other thing that it isn't even a planet, it's points in space. But um, so you have to visualize the sun in the center of everything and the earth moving in its regular orbit as it does around the sun every year. And then the moon going around the earth much more rapidly than the sun goes around the earth. So the nodes of the moon are these points in space where the orbit of the moon going around the earth intersects with the orbit of the earth going around the sun. Okay. Okay. And every computer program has them and there's always a North node and a South node. And these are indicators of past lives and they're associated with the evolutionary path that every single person who's born is on. And you need to look at them by the zodiac sign by the house position and then every contact that they make to every other planet in the chart to actually be able to kind of you know um finesse out what the person's evolutionary purpose or life path might be yeah that's really interesting i didn't know the the makeup of that when you gave me my reading but i think that's the part where you you explained my path of the wounded healer and then also is it Pallas Athena, the like rising from your own ashes is a life trend for me? Well, Pallas Athena isn't, isn't rising from your own ashes. That's Pluto. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. I got too much information in an hour to remember it. <laughs> yes, that's why we always record it. Yeah, <laughs> I've listened to it twice already. So, um, yes, I might not have mentioned these specifics, but uh, astrology is... People who are seeking for purpose and people who are trying to really understand, like, why they're here, there is a real concrete way to address that by looking at the birth chart. And my very, very first astrology teacher, so I had to go to California to find an astrology teacher back in the 70s, said, nothing can happen in your entire life that isn't in your birth chart. And I mean, that just really hit me in this very, very big way. And I want to talk about that spiritually for a moment, if I might. Please do. Okay. So, um, and this was something that my very first teacher taught me, which I just, 
I really, really didn't want to accept. But astrology has the philosophy that we have a high self or a spiritual self that actually picks the moment that we choose to reincarnate and it picks the birth chart and it picks the birth family and the birthplace. So we as a soul or as a spirit can have this, you know, range of experiences that push us forward on our path. Yeah, that's something I just discovered earlier this year. And I mean, I, I haven't looked back since that weekend when I finally had this huge realization that I chose all of it and it's like I chose all of this but then there's things that have been studied for so long like astrology and numerology and it's like all of these things are clues for the the life that you picked Mm -hmm. I mean the life that you're living is obviously proof that you are on the right path like you're never in the wrong place at the wrong time but I think it's just so amazing how accurate things like numerology and astrology can be. And um, there's a new kind of self-discovery tool, I guess you could call it. It's human design. Are you familiar with human design? I know some people who practice that, yes. Yeah, I've recently read a book on it. It's really fascinating, too. But it's just like, how can you how can you tell me that my numerology chart, my, my astrology chart and my human design chart all point to the same messages? I'm on this same path. And it just seems so obvious that my soul chose it. Yes. Yes. And when you get to a place of accepting uh, on a deep level that this is a necessary, that the things that you're going through are kind of a necessary part of your evolution, it really can move you from a position of feeling victimized by your life into a position of what can I learn from this? How can I grow? And, you know, it, it empowers people. And that's part of the reason that I do what I do is that I want to empower people. So some people are afraid to go see an astrologer because, first of all, they think I'm going to tell them something really bad. First of all, they think I can foresee the future, which I can't. You know, secondly, they think I'm going to tell them something really bad. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of mythology or misunderstanding about what is who astrologers are and what we can do. And... Uh, anybody who has really, really studied this, uh, I think is very, very committed to using it as a tool for uh, helping people grow and grow in understanding and grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And the part that you mentioned about, you know, people fearing seeing an astrologer, I think a lot of people go through like their first Saturn return and you kind of you have to like line up. Can you talk about the Saturn return? You obviously know a lot more about it than I do, but I think it's supposed to be a time of your life where things start lining up for you, not only astrologically and in your life, but it's like the things that aren't working out have to go. Yes. Yes. So Saturn is, uh, I think of Saturn as the great teacher with a capital T and, uh, Some people will say that Saturn is the planet that has to do with your karma, okay? Karma meaning what you came here to learn, okay? And uh, Saturn, when you have a Saturn return, this is the planet that really pushes you to take responsibility for your own life and to step into what you came here to do, basically. 
So for a lot of people, that means if they're in an inauthentic job or if they're in an authentic relationship, those things don't work for them anymore. They start kind of falling apart. And you can be afraid of Saturn returns. And sometimes they're really, really hard because there is, it, this is the planet that has to do with completion and it has to do with endings and it has to do with foundations, you know? So people typically make really big changes around their Saturn returns, you know? So this is age, it happens every 29, 28 and a half, 29 years. And most people will live to see two or three Saturn returns. And each one of them will, for most people, it, you know, be a really, really big marker. So the first Saturn return, I often see people buying houses, people getting ma making commitments, like commitments in terms of relationships, making big job changes, changing cities, sometimes having their first child, which is less true of millennials than other generations. But, you know, that's stepping up the amount of responsibility that you're willing to take to get what you want out of life. Very, very typical of Saturn. Mm -hmm. But for Saturn return, because Saturn has to do with endings and loss, I also see, uh, I was really surprised when it, I was going through it and a lot of people who were coming to see me were my age and people were losing their parents, which, you know, was really, really young. People were losing their jobs. People were moving to other cities. It's a very, very big realignment. And then the second Saturn return, this is very interesting because it's usually around 58 or 60. And people used to start thinking about retiring at that age, which has really changed. And I don't think people are thinking that way so much anymore. But um, there is a lot of the second Saturn return. People start thinking about, you know, have I really accomplished what I hoped to accomplish? And if I haven't, Saturn is a lot about mortality and time and how we use our time and how we feel about the time that we have. And so the second Saturn return, people go through really big reevaluations about, you know, again, purpose and meaning and responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I believe you start feeling this sort of shift around the age of 27 until your Saturn fully returns at uh, 29 and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep, and for many, many people I know that when you're 27, you know, it's actually a harder period of time because there's a kind of unraveling that happens before you get reestablished. Oh, geez. I turned 27 in seven days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, happy birthday a little early. <laughs> I'm nervous about my Saturn return, but I once read a thing that said, uh, if you've had a hard life or you've had, you know, a hardship that was out of your control in your life so far, then your Saturn return might actually end up being pretty fortunate and not as difficult, like the bad rap that it gets. So I'm kind of just holding on to that. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I want to say two things. And the first thing is that when I was going through my first Saturn return, I still knew that astrologer that gave me the first reading when I was in college. And she said something very wise to me. She said, if you don't know what to do, and you're under a Saturn influence, just work hard. And if that doesn't work, then work harder. Mm, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that was really good. 
And then the thing that I learned is that uh, if you believe in karma, which I do, uh, you deal with what you might call your inherited or historical or past life karma up until your first Saturn return. And part of the Saturn return is about completing or moving beyond that old karma. And from that point on, you actually are just dealing with whatever you're creating in the here and now. So let me talk just real briefly about consequences. So ultimately, what Saturn boils down to is the law of cause and effect. And every single choice that we make, whether we realize it right away or 15 years later, has a consequence. And if we don't like the consequences, then we need to change the choices. And that's a lot of what the Saturn return brings home to people is where their choices lie. And, and it's really, I tell people, it's about stepping into your own authority and letting go of all those external expectations and shoulds, which, you know, everybody's very powerfully conditioned, I think, to the expectations and shoulds from the outside. And when we kind of get through that first Saturn return, there's this feeling of, but I know better what I, my needs are and I know better what makes me happy than any outside person does. You have that to look forward to. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are there any other significant factors of a natal chart that might add some more color? Such as like being born at sunrise or sunset? Well, uh, so, so that's a really interesting question, but from my perspective, I mean, everything matters. Everything in that horoscope matters. So um, one of the things that happens all the time is people will say to me, do I have a good chart or do I have a bad chart? You know, and, and this is kind of drives me crazy because, you know, it's, it's so much more complex than that. Mm -hmm. And there is this little thing called free will that we all have. And uh, one day I had two people uh, come in and they had, they didn't have the same chart. They had the same chart dynamic, okay? And one person was experiencing just misery upon misery upon misery. And the other person was feeling like, you know, in it to kind of learn and understand and grow and evolve. And they were having a whole different experience. And so um, one of the things that I tell people, especially when I'm doing forecasts, is, uh, you know, everybody will have like a Saturn cycle at some point in their life. And you can't not have the Saturn cycle, but you certainly can choose how you use the Saturn cycle. And Saturn wants us to work hard. It wants us to simplify. It wants us to be more responsible. It, it wants us to become our own authority. And if you are actually able to do some of those things, then you can have a very, very successful Saturn return. So every planet is like that. You know, some planets uh, come along and it's time for us to kind of shake up the status quo. And if people try and keep everything the same, then their lives become really, really, really difficult. But 
if they jump into some kind of new challenge or something that's really outside their comfort zone, a lot of times life is really good. Fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like a lot of it just comes down into like leaning into the energy and leaning into your intuition and just leaning into what happens instead of trying to control it because you, you really can't. <laughs> you really can't. Right. You can work with it. Mm-hmm. But, but you can't. I think the universe is so much vaster than we are, you know? Mm-hmm. So you might as well align yourself with it as opposed to try and mm-hmm. get some kind of specific outcome. Yeah, that's that actually is a great leeway into the next question I wanted to talk about, which is the death chart. But that I had a dream. So, so one of the things that fascinates me about the death chart is that it can offer an explanation and like peace and healing um, for a situation that could actually be looked at as something that's very miserable for most people. And I had a dream um, before my dad died. It was about a month before he died from cancer. And I had this lucid dream, which is when you're aware that you're dreaming and you can control the choices that you make in it. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream that my dad died and I had the option to go down two different roads and I knew that one road would lead to complete self-destruction and another road would be a lot of hard work, but it would lead me down a fortunate path in life. And I kind of do have like self-sabotaging tendencies and, you know, the death of my dad at such a young age is, has been like really difficult for me and it's been difficult for me like lately it's been difficult for me this whole last year but I just think that that's such a good like description because I feel like I did in real life I mean in the dream I took the path that was harder to go down but it led me to a more fortunate life and I feel like in real life I'm taking that too by just like focusing so much on myself and what this experience can bring me and like starting this podcast and meeting all of these new people and and whatnot, it was really hard for me to do, but I just felt like I had to lean into the energy of what was happening to me for really the first time in my life. But I applaud you for doing that. And what great good fortune to have that dream to really, you know, I mean, it, it suggests just as an outsider listening to it, that, even though losing your dad was really, really hard, you know, it's, it's like uh, it spurred you down a different life path. Yeah, I think about that dream all the time. It's crazy. But, I mean, that it just, you can use that as a metaphor for really any of these instances that you're bringing up. So, with that being said, yes. um, the death chart is something that has really interested me just because of my own personal experience and because you have the book star sisters as well. Yes. So I'm just going to let you go ahead and take it away on the death chart. I never really was interested in death, but well, I mean, I was a little bit. So uh, when I was 17, my mom died and uh, you know, I got into astrology in my twenties and I would periodically you know, look at the stars for the date that she died, but it was just, I couldn't get a handle on it. So, you know, it was always there. But but then when I was in my 50s, my identical twin uh, was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. And 
uh, within five months, she was dead. And, you know, for any identical twin or twin of any kind who's out there listening, it, it really is like part of yourself that now has died or has been, you know, somebody said it's like having somebody cut off your leg. I mean, twins are so, especially I think identical twins are so just part of each other. You know, you're made of the same DNA. You spend your first nine months in that tiny little cramped place together. And then every single stage of life, you know, you're growing your teeth at the same time. You're learning to talk at the same time. And we were lucky because we liked each other. So we were kind of like each other's best friend. And you, you have this built-in companion. Many, many, many losses are very, very, very difficult. And all losses are difficult. And the loss of my twin, really, I felt kind of broken by it, you know. And I, I knew I would recover. I didn't quite know how I would recover, but um, I had, <clears throat> had had a five-year-old and a nine-year-old, so I, I didn't have a choice about recovering because I just really love my children and my spouse. So anyway, um, as I got a little bit more able to cope, I, uh, I just had, I had to look and see what was happening at the moment that she died. And so I ran something called a death chart, and I'd never heard of it before. And I started studying it. And talking about Saturn returns, I'll just bring this up because she died when Saturn, when we started the day that we started our second Saturn return. And Saturn, like I said, is about completions and it's about loss and it's about karma. And it's about all these things. And so there were quite a few things in her death chart that, in my worldview, really, really helped me make sense of the fact that she had fulfilled what she had come here to do and that she had kind of not intentionally in any way, but it, she, I, I was I was in this huge separation phase. We both were. So her separation was to go to the other side, and my separation was to go forward without her. Mm-hmm. And so, so I studied her chart for 12 years. I mean, I really, I was writing the book at the same time, but I didn't feel like I could kind of venture into offering death charts for other people until first, you know, I had to heal, but secondly, until I really kind of understood how to work with the energy. And so now I feel like here is this new tool that people, when you lose somebody, here's something that's very true for all loss is you might still be a daughter, but you're not the same daughter that you used to be. I'm still a twin, but I'm not the same twin that I used to be. Everybody has an identity crisis. Who am I now without my dad? Who am I now without my twin? Every loss is accompanied by these really big questions uh, that people have to figure out. And using this death chart, it, there's actually a way to talk about kind of what, that, what that's going to look like, what that change is going to look like. You know, why did this happen to me now? There's a way to answer that question. And so um, since I kind of opened my door to doing this, I've done quite a lot of them. And it's really, I, I mean, I see the difference in people between when they come in at the beginning of the appointment and when they leave. 
because there's some kind of something. Uh, it's different for everybody, but but something kind of gets eased or kind of put to rest mm-hmm. by using this tool. And I kind of can see it as like if you are so frustrated and, and angry and can't understand how this could have possibly happened, but then somebody's able to calculate something that lays out a map for you with an explanation, how can you how could you possibly walk away not believing in something greater than yourself or a, a, a bigger purpose? Someone came in who was actually given a death chart reading as a gift, which I thought, mm, you know, this is a little scary. And she had lost her 15-year-old daughter, which I think, you know, losing a child is a really, really tragic, tragic thing. And she came back to see me. We did the reading and she came back to see me a year later. And she said, I want to give you some feedback. And I thought, okay, great. I can't wait to hear, you know. And she said, the fact that you talked about that I had a future, that was what made the huge difference, is that I was so devastated. I couldn't even imagine. And I felt like that after my twin died. Like, how can you have a future? But, you know, I talked to her about kind of the path forward and what it looked like and these changes that were coming. And she said that that just gave her so much faith to go forward. So uh, that's a pretty powerful tool. And I, I know it's not for everybody, you know. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm sure the people who've gotten readings from you, though, are so grateful for it. That's that's the feedback that I've been getting. So um, I'm just going to put a little plug for the, the book is called Star Sisters, an astrologer's memoir of twin loss. And uh, it's available if you just Google uh, Amazon Books and then you put in Star Sisters and Astrologers, then you'll get right to the page. Okay. I will, uh, I'll link the information in the show notes too. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about other books or other work that you've been diving into? Well, um, I, ju- I just started. I just started uh, a book for astrologers, so I want to uh, on how to interpret a death chart. So um, I, I want to get a little more experience, but I can start the book while I'm doing it. You know, I just think that it's such a useful tool, and I, I'd really like to see if I could pass on some of what I've been learning. So uh, between finishing the first book and promoting it and writing the second book, uh, they're, they're really that's that's what's new that's that's all of what's new and it feels i i feel my sister cheering me on you know i feel her just feel being so delighted and she was a psychologist for many many years and then she got trained as a psychoanalyst and you know so she worked to heal people in a different modality than how i work to heal people but i feel like she's really happy about you know kind of that the outcome of losing her in my life is that now I've developed a whole new kind of system for healing people who are dealing with grief and loss. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I'm sure she is cheering you on every day. I'm sure she is too. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Linda. uh, My pleasure talking to you. How can people connect with you um, if they want to learn more about what you do? Uh, so I have a web page, and it's uh, the name of the page is astrologybymoonrabbit.com. Okay. So you can actually get there by Googling Star Sisters, 
starsistersbook.com will also take you to my webpage. Okay. I'll link your webpage. And then did you have a Facebook page too? Oh, yes. I have a Facebook page too. And I think that's Astrology Readings by Moon Rabbit. But if you put in Astrology by Moon Rabbit on Facebook, you'll get to my Facebook page too. Okay. And I just I just started an Instagram. <laughs> so that's, Instagram uh, kind of takes a while to build up a little. Well, and I would say because of my age, it's not quite as user-friendly for me as some of the other things. Sure. <laughs>